0: Five, four, three, two, one, let's go. Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast in partnership with Kidney Care UK, sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. My name is Dee Moore and I am a stage four kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage educate and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease related chronic illnesses and health if you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover please get in contact with me on social media using the handle diary of a kidney warrior in today's episode i'm bringing you a kidney warrior story now there's always something you can learn from someone's story Something that can bring inspiration and hope. My guest today from Scotland is community content curator Kerry Palmer. Kerry joins me today to share her story of being diagnosed with chronic kidney disease in her 20s, going on to dialysis, and receiving a second kidney transplant after the unfortunate failure of her first. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior, the podcast. How are you doing today, Kerry?
1: I'm good.
0: I'm good. I'm good. Welcome to the podcast. It's really good to have you today. As everyone knows, and I say this every time, I love recording Kidney Warrior Story interviews because, as I say every time, it is so powerful to learn from someone's lived experience. So, yes, I'm really looking forward to hearing your story today and getting some Tips and advice, but yes, let me kick off with my first question. And my first question is How did your kidney warrior journey begin and how were you diagnosed?
1: I think I was in my mid 20s and I was experiencing recurrent UTI infections, other infections which I just couldn't shake. And the GP decided they would do a routine blood test. And in that blood test, it threw up. I had a reduced kidney function. And he monitored that over a year. He did a, a blood test every three months and he monitored it. And he decided that I needed to be referred to the hospital to be checked out by the renal team. And after that, it just kind of went really wrong, really, really quite quite quickly. I think my EGFR ticked along quite nicely and it sat in the fifties and it dropped into the forties and it sat around about thirty-five for a number of years. And then one day it just went. It just went and I basically walked into an AD and collapsed on the floor.
0: Wow. So <laughs> So you're in your mid twenties and you'd been dealing with this for quite some time, not knowing what was mm. happening with your kidney function. So from when you were first picked up by your GP to when you went to a and and collapsed, what was the timeline
1: there? How long was it? So my kidneys failed when I was 37. So there's, there's probably about a 10-year kind of timeline within that. But having, sat, having my kidney function sit in a stable position for a number of years so I mean it sat in its thirties for it must be going on five or six years and then it just disappeared. So that's pretty much what happened. It just it was sitting there nice and nice and comfortable and then just one day it disappeared. And that was me.
0: So did they find out a reason for that or was it just there was just no explanation?
1: Well, they said that they wanted to do a biopsy. But when they took me down to theatre, they scanned the kidneys and they, they measured them. And they said that one of the kidneys had shrunk, oh, wow. or the kidneys had shrunk. And then they said that they made it too dangerous to biopsy the kidneys because the, the chances of them bleeding was significantly higher. So they abandoned it. So they never biopsied. They just gave me a a presumed diagnosis of FSGS.
0: And for those listening, what is FSGS?
1: Oh, you're not going to make me try and say that. <laughs> <laughs> I what's a turbic? <laughs> oh, I can't. I can't even. I'm not even sure I can pronounce it. I would have to Google it to try and pronounce it properly. Moving swiftly on to the next question.
0: <laughs> but OK, so we can't pronounce it, but what is it essentially? <laughs>
1: It's, they explained it to me as the filters in the kidneys weren't functioning properly. And I'm not sure if everybody's diagnosis of FSGS is the same. Right. Because it, it seems to encompass a number of different things. So mine was that they didn't think my kidneys were filtering properly. But other than that, we there was no real definitive answer it was just the kidneys aren't working properly anymore and this is what we need to do.
0: So it, I can only imagine how much of a shock it was you said that you had been stable for some time and then to suddenly collapse and for your kidneys to suddenly go into failure. What was life for you then like at that point?
1: So life was pretty good. I mean I, I was I worked a full time job, um, I felt a little bit tired. But I put that down to the fact that my kidneys weren't functioning fully. And then when my kidneys failed, I felt like I was dying. <laughs> There's no other word for it. I simply felt like I was dying. I actually turned to my partner on that moment and said that I felt absolutely awful. And within a couple of hours, I had to phone back for my partner at work and say, I feel like I'm dying. I think you need to come and get me and take me to <laughs> and And it was like, don't be so dramatic. And I was like, no, seriously, there is something seriously wrong. I don't even want to be in the house alone because I think I'm just going to die. It was horrific, actually, feeling that bad. And it's not until you get to the hospital and they say, you know, if you'd left it another twenty-four hours, you you wouldn't have made it. Wow. You kind of think, oh, <laughs> but you don't at the time. You don't at the time go, oh well, it must be my kidneys. My kidneys must be have gone completely. You know, you kind of think, oh, have I got a terrible virus, or you just don't know what's what's happening. Although it's there in the back of your mind that you know it could be your kidneys, you just don't expect it to go so quickly. So
0: how did you start to come to terms with this and, and get your head around this new diagnosis?
1: I think you or I think I things moved so quickly, you know, from arriving at A and E to being putting it a side room, had blood done. Nobody was telling me anything at that point. They were simply saying to me, We need to keep you here. We're gonna put you up on a ward and I remember that first night I felt so unwell I had a temperature I was begging for painkillers every four hours because I felt so awful and I felt like that was the only thing that was taking the edge off it and allowing me to to at least feel a bit more comfortable and yeah the first 24 hours were horrible and then I was moved down to the renal ward and I thought to myself all right it must be down here for a reason and that's when the consultant came to see me and said you know your kidneys have gone completely now and I was like oh <laughs> oh dear <laughs> and I, I think at that point I was so unwell that I wasn't really taking it on board I don't think I fully understood what she was saying and I kept turning at my other half and saying, did she just say that if I hadn't come, I would probably have died? <laughs> you know, I, kept having to, I kept having to fact check what the consultant had said to me. And um, things moved really, really quickly from there. You know, they, they took me to put a neckline in and then I was on a dialysis machine surrounded by nurses and everything just goes so fast. And you don't that fog from your head doesn't doesn't lift for a number of days, so you're at least a week, couple of weeks before you get to a point where you can actually think straight and realise what's actually just happened, or what's been going on for the last couple of weeks. And at that point, you're you know you're still sore, you're bruised from where they've put the neckline in, you are. I was still in shock (laughs) thinking to myself what do I do now my bloods were all over the place I kept fainting I just was a little bit confused as to how I was going to move forward knowing that I was now having to come to the hospital three times a week you know I had a full time job a house to run you know so many things were going through my head so yeah you you can have I'm not sure that you really, I don't think I really ever came to terms with it because I hated dialysis. And that's ne- I've never tried to hide that. <laughs> I've always struggled being tied to a machine for hours at a time. Couldn't cope with it.
0: So it was going from one difficult situation to another in the sense that coming to terms with the diagnosis and then now being placed on dialysis, which was something that you also found very challenging. So. You said that you never really came to terms with being on dialysis. And so I know that you went on to have a transplant. So how did that come about?
1: Once you get to a certain point, you're then placed on the transplant list. And that's obviously a, a process to get you to that point where you're well enough to be listed in a conversation with your consultant. So I was placed on the, trans- the transplant list. It must be nearly a year after I started dialysis, which is quite an exciting time for a patient, you know, Could you think to yourself, finally, I'm on that list. There's a bit of hope. And for me, that was, in some sense, that was a, a bit of a triumph because being placed on the transplant list for me was the possibility of the end of dialysis and then my partner came forward to be a a donor but we weren't a direct match so my partner agreed to go in the paired pool with me so we went in the paired pool and I think it was the third round we were matched with another couple of couples there was a lot of Back and forward, because there was one couple had to pull out and then they had to redo bloods and stuff, and it got a bit complicated. And then they decided they, they could technically go forward with the the other existing couple. So we had that conversation and that decision to then make whether or not we wanted to carry on and, and go ahead with that transplant, and we decided that we would. So yeah, that was. Quite a big moment to, to be going through that and to be discussing all of that because it's quite going for a transplant. It's quite a, it's quite a monumental thing, isn't it? It's not it's not a tiny surgery. It's it's quite invasive surgery. But to me, the opportunity to go for that and get off dialysis was the pull to do it. So that's what we did, and the, the date was made, and uh, we we went to theatre. And at that point, we were at hospital in London.
0: So you joined the paired pool scheme and then had the opportunity then to go forward. So what happened next?
1: We basically got ready. we travelled down to our hospital. I was admitted the night before. My partner stayed in accommodation that they have for donors and my partner went into surgery first, and that kidney was removed and sent off to its recipient. And um, I was taken down to theatre. They started the procedure, and they got virtually the whole way through the surgery. And they were trying to attach the last vein to my Always they were trying to attach the last vein, and it split. Oh, um wow. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I think this surgeon called in as many people as he possibly could to try and assist with the surgery. But they weren't able to they weren't able to resolve the issue and they ended up having to take that kidney back out. Oh, um no. yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, I remember my surgeon kind of woke me before I went back to the the ward. I remember my surgeon woke me. And I'll never forget him saying to me, it didn't work. And then I drifted off back in, <laughs> back into the anaesthetic. And uh, when I eventually woke up, they had kept us both together in the, the high dependency. They kept us both together. So when I woke up and I looked over to see my other half, and I was like, did I hear that right? Did the surgeon say that it hadn't worked? And I was told, yeah, yeah, it didn't work. So there was quite a bit of activity round about me when I woke up. You know, you, you kind of, I think, I was just like, what? Why <laughs> this like April 1st? I think I was a little bit shocked because I think you you kind of think to yourself, I know they explain all the risks and stuff, and you kind of think, yeah, it will be fine. I'll be fine. I'll wake up and it'll be hunky dory, and we'll jump whatever hurdles we need to jump. But no, <laughs> a couple of days later, they presented me with a dialysis machine, and I swiftly told them to get out.
0: <laughs> that must have been devastating. I can only imagine, like the disappointment and just she everything is. that you must have been feeling at that time, and for your partner as well, the sacrifice they gave. It must have been really hard for your partner as well.
1: Yeah, it was really, really difficult. Just all the emotions. I mean, I think you you go through every emotion. It's like a grieving process. Because I'm there, I'm ready to start my new life. You know, We had plans, we were going to go abroad on holiday and we were going to do this and we were going to do that. And then it just all went on the back burner. I went back to dialysis and life as it had been before the transplant resumed, although I had a period of time off work to recover from the operation, because I, technically I still had, you know, 99% of the operation other than that one vein. So I still needed to recover from that. So we literally hid ourselves away. We hid ourselves away and we came to terms with it together. And that was it. And then when we were ready to go back out into the world, that's what we did.
0: It's so touching to hear that you had the support of your partner and you were able to deal with that together and come to terms yeah. with that together. And then, like you said, you were ready for the world again. Yeah. So what was life like afterwards then? So you were now back on dialysis. Was that hemodialysis that you were on?
1: Yeah, I have had about, I'm at double figures when it comes to necklines and Ephemeral lines, <laughs> I had so many lines, but I definitely was into double figures, and I also had a fistula for a while, until it just, it just went, they tried to save it with a few surgeries, but it was no longer viable, and the veins, the the, the veins and stuff in my other arm, um, weren't, they've said that they aren't they aren't good enough to make another fistula. So I had then gone back to using necklines. I can't even pin down for you anything specific when it comes to having to go back into that process because you are in such a turmoil over it. You know, you've got all the emotions to deal with and, the, and the having to go back to dialysis and face everybody again and and, and do that again and, and also kind of consolidate that with yourself again. I'm going to have to do that again. I don't have a choice. I have to do it. And then it kind of came to a point where uh, I, just, I, I just decided I just have to. There is absolutely no point in torturing myself day in and day out. Because there was a a period of time where I was just furious. I was furious that it hadn't worked. I was annoyed. (laughs) But you can't stay like that forever. You have to just come to a point where you just think, it's done, but I can't change it. We can't go back. We have to move forward. And that's what we did.
0: So it really was, as you described, a grieving process where there was the Mm -hmm. anger, maybe the bargaining, like, why did this happen? And then you got to that point of acceptance. And then after that, having the challenges of having the neckline and fistulas not working and having to deal with all of that. So you really had a lot of challenges to deal with and to overcome. I can only imagine how difficult that was. So I know that you then went on to have a second transplant. How did that come about?
1: Well, we moved back to Scotland. We lived down in, in England for 10 years, in my Field, failed while I lived down in England. And we moved back to Scotland in December 2020, and I settled in at a new unit. Once I'd settled in there, and I saw the transplant team up here, and everybody was happy, I was then reactivated on the transplant list. And then I think I was off the transplant list for six months. So from the December to about the June or the July. And then when I was reactivated, my call came on the very early hours of January the 20th this year. And yeah, it was very early in the morning. I think it was just about four o'clock in the morning. (laughs) And it's funny how a person who's waiting on a transplant list, I don't know if other people have done this, but you know, I'd get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and I'd come back and I'd just look at my phone, check my phone, and I'd go, you've got to ring. <laughs> it's time for you to ring. <laughs> and I did that again this night. And then I literally put my head down on the pillow and shut my eyes and the phone went. And I was just like, bing, wide the week? <laughs> And I knew exactly who it was, you know, and I answered the phone and I knew that it was going to be the transplant unit. And they just said, we've accepted the kidney for you. And they went through some basic stuff that they have to go through with you. Um, And then they asked me to be at the hospital for 8 o'clock that morning. So there was no more sleep had that morning. No. (laughs) But for good reasons, though. (laughs) Yeah. yeah.
0: And so how was the process of having the transplant?
1: Well, I was asleep, so... (laughs) (laughs) I was all that hard rock to other people. <laughs> it was very different. I felt very calm and I remained like that all the way all that day. You know. And when I got to the hospital, you know, you have the last dialysis session and they take about three million pints of blood out of you. Yeah. <laughs> you go through numerous kind of tests and questions and Consent forms, and you know, there's just hurdles, there's hurdles, all those hurdles to jump, and then we had discussions about coronavirus and booster injections for coronavirus and stuff. And um, they said to me, they weren't expecting the kidney to arrive until quite late, so we might not even get to theatre until midnight. And I was like, okay, well, you know, that is what it is. It will get here when it gets here. I just need to be patient, and as it turned out, the kidney arrived at seven pm, and I was—I think I was downstairs in in theatre, somewhere between seven thirty and eight o'clock.
0: That was very very fast then.
1: Yeah, I mean they, they literally came up the stairs and said, "Your kidneys here!" <laughs> 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 and I <was> like, what? <laughs> Hold on, hold on, I've got stuff to do. I need to go to the bathroom.
0: (laughs) And was there any part of you at that time that was worried that the second one wouldn't work?
1: No, I would not allow my mind to go down that route. Like I said, I had this calm just from the get-go and that stayed with me for the entire day. And it stayed with me afterwards as well and i still have it. That's good. But it's almost... I don't know what it is. It's like a switch goes off somewhere in your brain. And I'm just like, okay, well, it is what it is. We'll go. You know, there's nothing you can do about it. You're going down there and you're, you're entirely in somebody else's hands. And that's how I viewed it. But also in the back of my mind with the thought that they would do absolutely everything that they could do. And when I wake up, Whatever has happened, I'll deal with that then.
0: That's amazing. So the second transplant was successful. And so how has life been post-transplant?
1: So life is completely different. Not having to go to dialysis three times a week is, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to lie, that's pretty phenomenal. I'm able to do much more with family because my family tended to do an awful lot of stuff on saturdays so i'm now able to go to the family events and see my nieces and nephews and and get back involved with the family which is great i have so much more energy now whereas before you know i could go out for a walk and i'd be done i just want back and go for a nap <laughs> you know now, I can, go, now I can go for two or three walks a day and i'm exercising you know I'm, i've got some exercise equipment in the house which i'm using you know and it's just i don't particularly need to worry about the things that i needed to worry about before which is great i just need to worry about how haggis jane is haggis jane's my kidney that's what she's called okay haggis jane haggis jane (laughs) i like that name (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i just need to I need to be mindful that you know she's she's there in it and I need to look after her and that's what I'm trying
0: to do. So with all that you've learned because for somebody listening who's thinking they've had a transplant and unfortunately for whatever reason that has failed it's good to know that there's hope and that a second transplant is possible and that it can be successful and that you can Live that life that you're describing. So do you have any advice for somebody who is maybe they're on the transplant waiting list or maybe they've had a first or second or however many failed transplant and is now waiting for a new transplant? What advice or encouragement do you have for that person?
1: I think everybody's journey is very, very different. I think the the thing that was most valuable to me was to remind myself to stay positive and to remember that, you know, there is good things ahead. You know, and, and that the team around about you will, will always try to do the best that they can to make sure that they are looking after you and providing you with the things that you need. I think that's quite a difficult question. And purely because we are so very different. And we're all at very different stages. In the process, I mean, it's difficult. I'm always very wary about trying to give people advice because I never fully know somebody else's experience, if you know what I mean. But if I was forced into giving somebody some comfort, it's just keep going. Just keep holding on to a bit of hope because there's always a bit of light at the end
0: of the tunnel. Thank you for that encouragement, because it is so important to have hope. And the ability to keep going can be so difficult, because as you Mm. said, everyone's journey is so, so, so different. And you quite rightly said, sometimes it can be difficult to give advice because everybody's situation is difficult and different, and you don't know what people are going through. But I think one thing that can be said for everyone, as you said, is keep going, keep focused on the fact that one day it is going to be okay. So thank you for that encouragement. So I know that you're very active in terms of social media and kidney advocacy and do a lot of work online, which is how we met each other. So for anyone that wants to follow you, online or if you could share a bit about the work that you do, how would they find you?
1: Well, I'm quite active on Twitter, like you say, and if anybody wants to chat about anything uh, or get in touch, then people are more than welcome to to follow me on Twitter. I usually follow kidney patients or kidney related people back anyway. So my handle is Kerry, which is spelled K E R I G H underscore Palmer. I try and do, I've been doing some stories and my job allows me to do stuff online, which is great. So I try and pick up as many kidney related stories, transplant or or donation stories as I can. And um, I, I do a lot of that online. So we publish it on our networks and I publish it on my Twitter and Facebook. And like you say, we try and get as much information out there as possible because there are a lot of people who still aren't aware that you can be a living donor or that you can be just an anonymous kidney donor. So there's still an awful lot of work to be done around about that. You know, and if people have questions about donating, it can be quite intimidating and it can be quite difficult because you don't really know where to go to ask people how to move forward with that process. So, yeah. I mean, most of us that are online that are quite active in advocacy are open to people getting in touch and saying, you know, can you tell me a little bit more about this and and really what you signpost people to, to wherever they want to be signposted to.
0: So we'll put all that information in the description box for the listeners. But to follow Kerry on Twitter, it's Kerry underscore Palmer. So check out Kerry on Twitter. So, do you have a final word for the listeners?
1: I think if you are worried about your kidney function or or anything surrounding your kidney health, do reach out, you know, get in touch with, with somebody. There are lots of ways to get information. I wouldn't necessarily say just Google any old site. If you're looking for specific information I would go to an NHS site but you're more than welcome to get in touch with any of the kidney advocates that are out there on social media and even just ask the question Got your GP, just ask the question because people are always particularly people like myself and Dee were always supportive of advocacy for you know organ donation and it just so happens that we are kidneys you know But that doesn't mean we, we can't signpost people towards other donation because you can also donate a slice of your liver which a lot of people wouldn't necessarily be aware of but yeah there's a there's a large community of us out there and we're, we are open to, to helping people
0: thank you Thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing your story, overcoming so much and truly, truly being a warrior and congratulations on the success of your transplant and I wish you all the very best and thank you
1: so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's been great chatting to you.
0: Thank you for listening to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast And don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend. New episodes of this podcast are released every other Monday. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast in partnership with Kidney Care UK. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope and love.